0: For several weeks now, we've been digging down into just the first six verses of Romans chapter 7. Trying to understand better what it means to no longer be under law, but under what? Grace. Big difference. But all kinds of confusion out there, certainly in the world, but in the church, among Christians. It is muddy. It is fuzzy. On what does this mean? What is the difference? What does that look like? And... What's the huge danger of getting sucked back over here? Because you could. Your flesh still has a comfort level of this over here. It seems more manageable. It seems more attractive. It seems more doable. And Paul is telling us, don't do it. Don't do it. In fact, resist. Be intentional. Be purposeful. Watch out for this because it's a trap. It's a pit. And it'll massively, massively mess you up. It'll suck the very life and joy out of you as well as assurance of salvation and security. This is the person that just constantly is, does God love me, does he not? Does he love me, does he not? I still have a lot of shame and guilt and I feel condemnation. And they say they know Jesus. They say they've been born again and saved. When you stay over here under the law, it breeds those kind of thoughts and feelings. When you don't understand well enough or clearly enough what it means to be under grace, And so that's why Paul's taking us here now in these verses. In his book, What's So Amazing About Grace, Philip Yancey says this, I have written about legalism partly because of my own bruising encounters with it and partly because I believe it represents such a powerful temptation to the church. See, legalism is a powerful temptation to the church. It just everything seems more manageable. Just make a list, codify it give people regulations, tell people exactly how to wear their hair, tell them exactly how to dress and how long the skirt should be, tell them exactly what, what beverages they should drink and not drink, tell them exactly what rating movie they should see. Is it just PG or just G? Or should we not go at all because some of that money goes to Hollywood and they make bad movies so you shouldn't see any movie at all? Or maybe PG or PG-13 or even R when there's some redeeming value in it and there's some themes, some redemption themes in it even though it's R. They get in bed and they have sex or they just take off their tops? I mean, how are we gonna, Right? After a while, it's madness, but that's where some Christians live and some of you grew up in some of those settings where the focus was so much on the list of do's and don'ts. Now, do not hear what I'm not saying. Go watch anything to the glory of God. Did I say that? No. That was weak. No. No. But you know what you did just here? You'll find Christians that make different decisions on that. (gasps) You're gonna see somebody that's not doing what you're doing. (gasps) And you're gonna think, they're gonna burn in hell. That's legalism. Hello. Everybody will not have the same convictions or the same standards in every area that you do. And the danger is when a church or a group of leaders begins to codify and say, this is it. And we'll tell. Now there's some simplicity to that, because then it's like, all right, everyone just knows what to do. Guess what was just squelched and choked out? The Holy Spirit that God gave you. you got the Spirit of God living inside of you to lead you and guide you, not codified rules and regulations pressing on the outside in. He says, there's a powerful temptation to the church. Legalism stands like a stripper on the sidelines of faith, seducing us toward an easier way. It looks easier. It looks more manageable. It looks more clear. It teases, promising some of the benefits of faith but unable to deliver what matters most. As Paul wrote to the legalists of his day, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. What he's referring to is they argued a lot over, well, should we eat this or not? This was offered to an idol as a sacrifice and now it's cheap meat being sold in the marketplace. It's reduced because it sat in front of an idol for a day. You can get it half off. And so some Christians were saying, "Woo, cook out, bring over the friends. Our small group is buying that meat and cooking out because an idol's nothing. We worship the one true living God. There were other Christians like what have you lost your mind it's been offered to an idol how can you do that that's wrong they're fighting over food and drink and what holy day is a holy day and what day is not some treat every day the same others are treating different days special so they had their whole mess of illegalism too and he's like it's not about eating and drinking he says it's righteousness peace and joy in the Holy Spirit and we're going to come back to that You're going to hear that word Holy Spirit a lot in this message. We got on it last week. You're going to hear it again this week. It's the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit. Person of Christ living in us. So in Romans chapters 5, 6, and 7, Paul wants us to wake up to grace and to not slip back into the seduction of the stripper legalist standing on the sidelines calling to you, teasing, and it looks good, but it's a trap. It's a trap, it's a trap, it's a trap. It does not lead to a fruitful, holy, passionate, joyful, confident Christian life. It's a trap. Paul says both sin and the law have ruled you long enough. So in Romans chapter 6, he's driven home to us that you're you're no longer under the power of sin. It doesn't own you. Do we still sin? Do we have to Not if you're a believer. The resurrected Christ lives in you. You've got a power now you never had before that's more than just your own. So sin doesn't have to rule you. But in Romans 7, he's saying the law doesn't rule you anymore. That's not how we get godly living done. That's not the path that leads to godly living. Remember, the law was our tutor to lead us to who? And stay with Christ. Stay with Christ. Don't go back. That's why Paul said in the great resurrection chapter, you know, The chapter, that, if you know your Bible at all or church at all, you'd say, all right, what is the chapter that it just explains the resurrection more than it? 1 Corinthians 15. Resurrection chapter, all about the resurrection. And Paul says in the great resurrection chapter, he says, death has been swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where's your victory? Oh, death, where's your sting? The sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law. Law empowers sin. Don't hear me saying law makes you sin. And don't hear me saying, I try to keep saying this so you don't get confused, is law bad? Do we need to throw it out? But you better understand it's purpose. It's purpose. It's purpose. It says the power of sin is the law. Why? Because sin doesn't even look very sinful in your life until you have the law that shows you how how sinful you are and you're like, whoa, whoa, I'm a worse sinner than I ever thought. How would I come to that conclusion? Only because of the law. Because without the law, we tend to think, I'm pretty good. And we make our own standard. Which usually is comparing ourselves to somebody else that's behind us. And we're a little ahead. And we say, I'm so glad I'm not like them. Law comes in and stirs it up. So the power of sin is the law. Then he says, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Don't be seduced back to the stripper on the sideline of legalism. But now that leaves us as Christians with a big question, doesn't it? Okay, then what is the role of law? What is the place of law? And does it even matter? Now hopefully, this is the third message in Romans 7, 1-6. Surely you would not be so thoughtless or clueless to say, It doesn't matter. I've been trying to tell you it matters. It really matters. What you do with this and how you think and how you understand this will largely determine your level of joy and your power and your confidence and your endurance. That person is still over here under the law, examining themselves and combing over their life meticulously, constantly as a Christian, and in some kind of merit system, thinking, have I read my Bible long enough? Did I pray long enough? Did I witness enough? Have I been in a small group? Am I hosting a small group? And I'm serving? Do I want you in a small group? That was weak. Yes. Do I want you to serve? Do I want you to read your Bible? Do I want you to pray? Do I want you to tell other people about Jesus? But does any of that determine your relationship with a holy God and decide whether he loves you or loves you not on any given day? Louder. No. 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 That's the mistake that some Christians make. They're caught over here, and it's this merit system now that's chewing them up. Paul wants us to, to, to get this clear because if you misunderstand the role of law in your life now, you'll be creeping instead of leaping. You're just low. You're just down all the time. I talked about this. I gave you a verse last week. Malachi 4.2 to the 50 people that were here. Malachi 4.2 that says, when the son of righteousness rises with healing in his wings, you will be released and you will leap like calves released from the stall that's the picture he gives we don't have enough Christians leaping like calves released from the stall in springtime we got Christians that are just creeping through life they look like Clint Eastwood furrowed browed very constipated I'm in a lot of pain this is unpleasant that's how Christians look so often and that's how you'll look when you're over here taking the law and trying to do with it what God did not design it to do It's calves released from the stall. Now, does that mean these calves just leap into gross sin and go anywhere they want, do whatever they want to the glory of God? No. But you've got a pep in your step. You've got a joy. You've got a freedom. You've got a hope. You've got no condemnation. You know you're adopted and it's based on Jesus and his relationship to the Father and what he's done for you. It causes you to want to please God. Calves released from the stall. we got too many Christians that are just creeping instead of leaping. And it's this misunderstanding of the law very often that's bringing that about. Because joy will evaporate. Assurance will evaporate. See, so think about this. If you stay over here and you're still caught up, obsessing over, holding on to law as the main way you're going to try to grow as a Christian now. You will on a regular basis be more aware of your sin than you are your savior and your acceptance in him. Should I ever get over the fact that I'm a sinner? No. But should that be front and center on the front burner of my life that I'm just constantly, most acutely obsessing over and aware of how big a sinner I am, how big a sinner I am, how big a sinner I am? No. How great a Savior I have. How great a Savior I have. How great a Savior I have. Now, i got to start with sinner or I won't be excited about Savior. But you don't just stay here wallowing, 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 wallowing. Get it and look to your Savior and rejoice, 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 rejoice. Two very different ways of living. Two very, very different ways of living. So let's, re- let's review our simple definition of legalism I gave you three weeks ago from C.J. Mahaney. So we'll know what we're talking about. Legalism is seeking to achieve forgiveness from God and acceptance by God through obedience to God. Now, this is tricky. You want to be careful. Should we obey? Oh, yeah. But notice what he's saying. Legalism is seeking to achieve forgiveness. I'm not sure that I am forgiven, but I'm going to get it by these things I do. I'm going to obey so well, I think he forgives me. You got... That's all messed up, and you will be messed up. Legalism is seeking to achieve forgiveness from God and acceptance by God through obedience to God. My forgiveness from God and my acceptance by God is based on my faith in Jesus Christ and what he did. And that every day the Father, when he looks at me, if you're a Christian and you know Christ and your faith is Christ, he sees Jesus He sees Jesus. He sees Jesus. And the righteousness of Jesus and the perfect life of Jesus has been applied to your account. When God sees you, he doesn't see an empty account. Hallelujah. My sins have been wiped out. It's better than that. My sins are wiped out. And the righteousness of Christ is in my account as if it were mine. Someone say hallelujah. That's what Christianity is about. That's the heart and soul of Christianity. That's why he says in 2 Corinthians 5.21... For our sakes, he, God the Father, made him, God the Son, to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. You hear any mention of the law there? No, the law doesn't get that done. The law doesn't create that. The law can't do that. But the law can show you your need and bring you to a Savior. And when he does, stay there, stay there, stay there. But now let's stop and get a little definition of law... ...because we're using this word a lot. Law. Let me, let me... And this is not in your notes... ...but you might want to jot this down. Whenever you're reading your Bible... ...and you see the word law... ...you think, well, what is he talking about? There's three different ways that that might, might be... ...something he might be referring to. Three different things. Sometimes when you see the word law... ...it is referring to the first five books of the Bible... ...that was called the Torah, collectively... Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. First five books of the Bible often was called the law. For example, in Matthew 22, when the religious leaders pressed, Jesus said, Just boil it down and give us the biggest commandment. What's the biggest commandment? Bottom line it, Jesus. He said, All right, love the Lord your God with all your heart, strength, and soul, and mind. That's the first. And love your neighbors yourself. The second is like unto it. And then he says, On these hangs all the law and the prophets, or depends. All the law and the prophets. When he used that that shorthand phrase, law and prophets, he's talking about the whole Old Testament. He's saying, on these, the whole, everything God wants us to do could be accomplished if you fulfilled those two commands. So when he refers to law and prophets, he's talking about the first five books and the rest of the Old Testament. Secondly, sometimes when the law is being referred to, it's just a a euphemism or a synonym for the Bible. Like when the psalmist says, I love your law, oh God. It doesn't mean he just sits and looks at the commandments. I love your law, I love your word. Thirdly, sometimes when you see the word law, it is referring to the actual Ten Commandments in Exodus 20 and the covenant, the covenant around which that is built. All right? That is how Paul is using this word law as he says it. So I don't want you to make the mistake of thinking, oh, I got to get out from under reading God's word and and having God as my authority, and his word is my authority, and I'm over here and I'm just free. No, he wants you out from under that system of the law, the 10 commandments being what you just keep looking at as far as a way to grow. You come over here and you're under grace, but do I need the Bible under grace? Oh my goodness, yes. Do I need to read my Bible under grace? Oh, you better, because we're gonna talk about walking in the spirit. But when you walk in the spirit, how are you gonna know what the spirit wants you to do? It's not what God told me to marry you. That freaks girls out, by the way, guys. Just don't do that. That doesn't help. That whole heavy-handed authority thing, not only do I want you, but God told me it doesn't work. She runs. So, you know, it's just, it's just wildness. It's just a wild, wild west over here when it's just, I just walk in the Spirit, baby. Yeah, well, the Spirit informs you through His Word. So I read the Bible every day, not as a code to say, oh, but in a relationship with Jesus Christ and His Spirit living in me, I want to know Him. I want to follow him. I want to learn of him. I want to know his ways. I do want to know right and wrong. But I'm not earning anything. I'm not trying to achieve something. It's because I have a relationship with him. I pray so I can talk to him. I read the Bible so I can hear from him. I pray so I can talk to him. I read the Bible so I can hear from him. That's a living, vital relationship with a risen Savior, Jesus Christ. And it involves the word. But it's not, it's not the the chiseled stone Ten Commandments breathing down my neck, confronting me and exposing my sin that leads me to greater freedom and growth and becoming more like Christ. Now, let's read again what God's Word says because that's what matters most, not a definition from C.J. Mahaney, not anything that I would say. Romans 7, 1 to 6. Romans 7, 1 to 6. Follow along in your Bibles, and I really hope you have a Bible. Romans 7, 1 to 6. Or do you not know, brethren, for I speak to those who know the law, that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives. For the woman who has a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives. But if the husband dies, she's released from the law of her husband. So then, while her husband lives, if she marries another man, she will be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law so that she is no adulteress, though she has married another man. Therefore, so he set up an illustration. He set up an analogy and now he's going to apply it. That's why there's a therefore. Therefore, my brethren, you, you also have become. So he's saying you're just like this analogy I just gave you of a woman married to a husband, but he dies. Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law. The law was your former, say it, husband. You have become dead to the law through the body of Christ. What? What? So you can just do your own thing, hit the spiritual singles bars, go wild. Now, no more husband with the law because you are, say it, what's the word? Married to Christ. That you may be married to another, even to him who's raised from the dead. Why? That we should bear fruit to God. When you get a hold of what it means to be married to Christ in a relationship with Christ, you start to bear fruit to God. This being under the law, it's stinking fruit. It's death. 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 And any fruit that you do get, it's self-righteous fruit, what I'm trying to produce and pin on the outside of my life. When you get a hold of this, you begin to get real, organic, fresh fruit, the real deal. That's what this is producing. We should bear fruit to God, verse 5. For when we were in the flesh, the passions of sins which were aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit to death. But now. We have been delivered from the law having died to what we were held by. It held us. It held us and exposed us and convicted us that you were held by so that we should serve in the newness of the spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. For two weeks now I've been trying to give you some ways I said ways you can keep from getting sucked into legalism and back into the hothouse of being under the law. Number one. I said, you better stay focused on your new love relationship with Jesus Christ. You have a spiritual husband, lover now. Not just some of you, not just those that really study the Bible, not just those that get in a small group, not just those that, if you're a believer, you put your trust in Jesus Christ, you can be baby, baby, baby Christian. And he is your lover, husband. That's the relationship that you have. He's your lover, not a lawyer. He's not a whistleblower. That's not his primary job. He's your husband that already gave his life for you. He's for you, not against you. He's for you. And so let's just, I want you to just let that concept of husband sink in for just a minute. I hope when you're reading your Bible, you don't just too quickly just think, oh, whatever. As Paul was penning this letter to the Romans, Christians living in Rome, inspired by the Holy Spirit... God could have used any number of analogies or metaphors, right? He chose husband. It's worth thinking about why. There's a a relationship there. It should reflect something there that moves you beyond this just outward rules and regulations and codified system. Husband, not personal trainer, not life coach, not financial investment, not drill sergeant, not nanny, not au pair. Husband. Husband lover who already gave his life laid down his life for you if you're here and you're a christian jesus christ is not your babysitter he's not your best friend he's not your business partner he is your lover husband when you get a hold of that when you begin to understand that more and you begin to rest in that and delight in that it'll change your life it'll change your life Don't hear me saying it'll cause you to just run out and be a bigger, bolder sinner. Nope. You will have a motivation and you will have a freedom and you'll have a power that you never had before knowing that I'm in this kind of relationship. Number two, so stay focused on your new love relationship with Jesus Christ as your husband lover. Number two, stay mindful of the new power, a new power you have in you, the spirit of the living Christ in you. See, this change process now, once you come to Christ, is, an, is all about an inside out, inside out, inside out. Whereas the law was outside in, outside on you, pressing on the outside, pressing on the outside, pressing on. It's all the law could do. Law cannot empower you, law cannot change you, law cannot help you. Now, here, make the distinction. Remember, I explained law. So, am I saying the Bible can't change you, Bible can't help you? No, no. What am I saying? The Ten Commandments, that covenant of law, that cannot empower you. It cannot change you. It cannot help you. It simply exposes you, which is a help. But once you're exposed, you better get to Jesus and the Spirit of Christ living in you is your new power now to change. You're not on your own. It's not just you trying to duke it out on your own. And it's not certainly not the law breathing down your neck that is gonna really help you become more like Christ. Last week... I showed you the big stick and talked to you about the law being like a big stick. The law being a big stick and the role of the law, what you see in scripture is that this big stick was to get your attention and to show you who you truly are. Just like if, uh, if we took a 50 gallon drum and we filled it with pond water and we let it sit there for a day, day and a half, two days and all the mud and filth and silt settles to the bottom. And you look at that, you just look at the top of it, look down in there and say, that looks pretty good. I would drink that. If you took a big stick and you just begin to agitate that and stick it down in there and stir and churn it and poke it and stir it, all that silt and filth and mud would begin to swirl up off the bottom and cloud the water. And you would then realize, oh, that is filthy. That's what the law does in our lives. It's good. We need it. Should we throw out the law? No. No. But once you see your need and your true condition, the law helps you do that, you don't stay with the big stick as a way of growing and becoming more like Christ. You get to Christ and the same Jesus who saves you now lives in you and will empower you and help you. This is condemnation. This is guilt. This is shame. This will keep you over here just combing over your life constantly if you continue to focus on the law. you will will live continually with a greater awareness of your sin than your Savior and your condemnation and your guilt. He encourages us to put down the big stick of the law and to keep in step with the Spirit and to follow the Spirit and to walk with the Spirit and to be led by the Spirit. When we get to Romans chapter 8, you're going to see Spirit all over that chapter. Spirit, 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 Spirit. If by the Spirit, the Spirit, 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 Spirit. Not the law. And some of you have talked to me about and said, hey, I've read the book of Galatians while you've been doing this. That was a great decision. If you get over to the book of Galatians, you'll see that whole book is a commentary on these verses of Romans 7, 1 to 6, giving greater understanding about what's it mean to be law versus grace, law versus grace, and what's the role of the Spirit. But go over there and look at just Galatians 5 with me. Galatians chapter 5, and I'll show you what I'm talking about. In Galatians 5, Paul shows us how a Christian is to fight sin and follow Christ. How do you fight sin and follow Christ? How do you fight sin and follow Christ? Is it the law? Do I just keep picking up the law? Do I carry the big stick of the law? Galatians chapter five. Beginning of verse 16. I say then, walk in the what? Spirit. "Spirit, And you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lust against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things you wish. But if you are led By the Spirit, you are not under the law. I come out from under the law, and I come over here, and I'm not a free agent, but I'm led by the Spirit. You say, well, Brad, how do I know what the Spirit wants me to do? I read this. But I don't read it as a legal system. I don't just sit and look at the Ten Commandments every day. I don't, just, I don't beat myself up over here. I read this and I spend time reading my Bible every day to hear from my Savior, to, to see his life, to learn more of his Father and how I'm supposed to live. To, to read letters that were already written to Christians that were struggling in a number of areas, whether it's relationship, marriage, parenting, finances, jobs, pride, depression, anger. It's all in here. I read it to get insight as to how to live and be led by the Spirit. I don't throw this out, but you get over here and you're led by the Spirit. Skip down to verse 24. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. One of my favorite verses regarding the Holy Spirit is right there. Because in the Greek, literally it says, keep in step with the Spirit. I want to be keeping in step with the spirit, listening to the spirit. And spirit leads me by his word largely. And then as I go into my day and, and, I'm, and I'm prompted, I'm led by the spirit. It, it's, it's alive. There's a real person in me. It's not a code. It's not a system. Let me give you an example. Just on Friday, I love it when this happens. And I don't want you to hear spooky, ooh, this just happens all the time that I ask God what shirt to wear, where to eat out, just, you know. I make a lot of decisions, I just make them. I hope I'm filled with the Spirit as I make them. But there are times, he's real, he's alive. I, I dropped my daughter off, and took her to middle school, 7.30. I went to the gym like I usually do. Friday's supposed to be my day off. Go to the gym, I'm in the gym. And as I'm leaving, it's like 8.30 or so. I'm thinking, oh, it looks like it's gonna be a sunny day. My, my car is covered in salt and grossness from all the weather, I'm gonna go wash my car. It's like the Holy Spirit said, don't, don't do that, go home go home right now because he popped into my mind that we had a a fellow come into the house that I've prayed for for 18 years to work on something at the home he repaired something for us the first year we moved in and I wrote him in my prayer journal I have prayed for that man for 18 years and he was at the house it was like go home and catch him and see if you can share the gospel with him I'm like all right. now there's times that happens I want you to know and I'm wrong it was just me it was just indigestion I don't know you know I thought but you know what, I wanna be obedient, right? So I, I start heading home and I pull out my iPhone while I'm driving because I'd written down the name of his wife and the name of his daughter and I wanted to get all the names right before I got there. And, and I'm coming around on Mount Vernon Drive, my street, and there's his truck. I'm like, hallelujah, yay. So I go in and I had a boldness, right? I had a boldness that, that's beyond what I normally have because I was convinced God prompted me, the spirit of God led me. And I didn't come in to say, you know, I was kind. We started with chit-chat. But I shared the gospel. Quickly, I moved to that. I moved and shared the gospel. And he listened politely and he was very taken back when I said, Do you know I've prayed for you for 18 years? I have prayed for you from that first year we moved in when you came and repaired such and such. Um, I was thrilled that there is a Holy Spirit who lives in me and he helped me. I am so grateful for the Bible. But the Bible doesn't tell me what to do at 8.30 on Friday. That's why you got the Holy Spirit. The Bible doesn't tell you whether to take that job in Oregon or the job in Manhattan. That's why you got the Holy Spirit. The Bible doesn't tell you a lot of things, right? He gives us principles and then he gave us the Holy Spirit. Keep in step with the Spirit, be led by the Spirit, walk in the Spirit. And that's what he tells us to do regarding fighting sin. Throw down the big stick of the law and be led personally by the Spirit of God within you who will help you and empower you. But let me give you a third way. Number three, and the final one, to keep from getting sucked into legalism and back into the hothouse of legalism under the law. Number three, stay grateful for your new position in Christ or the new covenant that you're a part of. You're a part of a new covenant now, covenant of grace, a new covenant. Look in Romans 7, 6 again. Romans chapter 7 verse 6. But now we have been delivered from the law having died to what we were held by so that we should serve in the newness of the spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. What Paul is saying is that you're under a new covenant now. And a covenant, let me help you there if you think I don't know what a covenant is. A covenant is nothing more than a written agreement between two parties that makes certain promises and requires certain behavior. A covenant. In other words, he's saying there's a new agreement between you and God now. As a Christian, you're under new management with new terms, with a new contract. The rules have changed. And Paul gives us more details on what this looks like. This new covenant, this new contract, this new management, the new terms that are yours as a believer. There's one whole chapter in his second letter to the Corinthians where he unpacks this. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and look at the new covenant. And he's going to contrast it to that old letter of the law. New covenant, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Beginning in verse 2. You are our epistle, written in our hearts, known and read by all men. He's talking to the Christians in Corinth. You are manifestly an epistle of Christ. Notice, he's saying, the main thing that's happening in your life now is you you are Christ, and he's writing his story on you. It's not the law pressing on you on the outside. You're an epistle. You're a letter of Christ. Christ is working. You are an epistle of Christ ministered by us, written not with ink, not like the law, written not with ink, but by the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone. What was written on tablets of stone? law to commandments but on tablets of flesh that is of the heart and we have such trust through christ towards god not that we're sufficient to think of anything as being from ourselves but our sufficiency is from god who also made us sufficient as ministers of a new say it covenant not of the letter but of the spirit for the letter does what kills but the spirit does what gives life gives life. Now, is the law bad? Do we need it? But if you stay here and you don't understand, I get over here where there's life and empowerment and joy and spirit in conjunction with me reading the Bible versus just beating myself up relentlessly in a merit system with the law. The law led me to Christ, but I don't come over here and pick up this big stick and keep trying to do the Christian life with the big stick. It's exhausting, joyless, filled with guilt, condemnation, regular bouts of am I saved, am I not? Does he really love me, does he not? Because I've got this thinking, this law thinking that my relationship with him is based on how well I'm doing in the Christian life and how well I'm keeping all these spiritual disciplines. Do I want you to read your Bible? Will it change your life? Will you really suffer if you're ignorant of God's word, you're not praying, you're not spending time with God's people? Absolutely. It's going to impact you. But listen, that's not the same thing as saying is you've got to do these things to be saved. You do these things because you are saved. So different. And and I want you to see how Paul makes a contrast between this new covenant of the Spirit and freedom and life and that old covenant of death and the law. Look at verse 7 to 8 in 2 Corinthians 3. But if the ministry of death, look what he calls the law. Look what he calls this covenant over here. It's a ministry of what? Death. Death. But if the ministry of death written on engraved stones was glorious so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away. How will the ministry of the spirit not be more glorious? He calls it a ministry of death. I don't want to stay in death. Now watch what else. As if that wasn't enough. Look what he does now. Verse 9. For if the ministry of, what is it? What kind of ministry? Condemnation. If the ministry of condemnation, it's a ministry of death, it's a ministry of condemnation. Which is heavy and hard, but God's good. He's loving. He knew you got to feel this death. you got to taste this death. you got to sense this condemnation or you'll never cry out for a savior. You'll never want to be rescued. You'll never ask for mercy because you're so busy thinking how good you are. So you start here, but oh my goodness, you don't stay here. You don't stay here once you come to know Christ. Verse 9, for if the ministry of condemnation had glory, the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. That's why the writer in Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, which by the way, I hope you're, I hope you're get catching that I've tried to reach out in Scripture and pull in other passages so you'll get a bigger picture and you won't think, well, Brad, is this just the only place the Bible talks this way? Romans 7, 1 to 6. Because I know for some of you, this is kind of new. You're thinking, I, I just had I never thought this through. Hope you've seen, I've reached over and pulled in Galatians. The whole book. I've reached now over here to 2 Corinthians 3. And there's that explanation of these two different covenants in the death and life. Folks, the whole book of Hebrews. Maybe that's a book you've just ignored largely. Oh, listen, the whole book of Hebrews, this is what it's about. That this is better. Jesus is better. We have a better covenant, a better sacrifice, a better hope, a better high priest, better, 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 better. And here, let me make a plug also for this. The book of Hebrews is one of the reasons you should read your whole Bible. Because if you're not reading Leviticus, and I know it's not probably gonna be your favorite book, but when you read Leviticus, and then you get to Hebrews, you're like, Oh my goodness, hallelujah. They're out there dragging red heifers outside the city and pulling the skin off, putting the kidney here, liver there, and doing this, that, and the other. And now, oh, we got a better sacrifice that's done. One and done, one and done. They got a high priest who goes in once a year on Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, and we hope that he'll be accepted. We hope God won't strike him dead. We have a high priest who's done it once forever and is accepted by God the Father, and nothing changes. All the contrasts are better, 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 better. In fact, the book of Hebrews uses the word better 13 times. Let me give you a phrase. If you want to understand the book of Hebrews and say, I got the book of Hebrews. You can tell somebody at work tomorrow, you want me to explain the whole book of Hebrews to you? Three words, Jesus is better. Say it with me. Jesus is better. Again with gusto, Jesus is better. Book of Hebrews. Now I encourage you to go read it and mark all 13. Depending on your translation, that number might shift a little But mark all those instances of better. We got a better sacrifice. Jesus is better than these bulls and goats. We got a better covenant. A covenant of life under grace, not death. We've got a better high priest. We've got a better hope. He talks about our hope being anchored in the person of Jesus. Everything's better. Why would you go back to this? These are the shadows that were pointing to the real thing. That's why it says in Hebrews 10.1 The old system in the law of Moses was only a shadow of the things to come not the reality of the good things Christ has done for us. In other words Jesus and his finished work on the cross and resurrection and him standing before the Father day and night for us now interceding for us is the large 64 inch flat screen HD crisp color. The law that system Was the black and white, big fat TV filled with tubes that you grew up with with your parents? Grainy picture. Why would you go from this back to this? He says, these are the shadows that were pointing to this. Now that you got this, now that this has arrived, stay with this, learn more of this, drink in this, delight in this. Don't go back to that old system. Jesus is better Better. See, here's what you're really doing. If you, if you pick up the big stick of the law again, you go back to that, you step back into the shadows, you listen to that siren cry of the, of the stripper on the sidelines of faith, legalism saying, come on, come on, come on. This is easier, this is manageable, this is doable. You'll like this. If you step back into the shadows and are led back to that, in, a, in essence, get this, it would be like, and you know Christ. You've been born again. You've been set free. He lives in you. Spirit of the living Christ in you. In a sense, it'd be like saying, I wanna show my wife that I really, really love her. So I'm gonna do some really nice things for my ex-wife. You're like, what? That's crazy. I'm glad you think that. Because that's exact, those are the exact words that Paul uses. Because remember, I don't think I'm being unfair here or stretching it. He, he's bringing the analogy that law is your ex what? Husband, because you're married to Christ now. If you go back to that ex and try to please that ex to show your love for Christ, you're all messed up. He says in the message paraphrase in Galatians 3 You crazy Galatians, did someone put a hex on you? Have you taken leave of your senses? Something crazy's happened, for it's obvious that you no longer have the crucified Jesus in clear focus in your lives. Are you going to continue this craziness? For only crazy people would think they could complete by their own efforts what was begun. By God, What's the operative word right there? It was used four times. Crazy. crazy. You're crazy if you leave Jesus and go back to the shadows, back to the stripper, back to the big stick of the law. It's not going to work. It's not going to get it done. God's plan is that you stay with Christ. Listen to Christ. Follow Christ. Fall in love with Christ. Delight in Christ. Get to know Christ. See, he said in John 10, my sheep hear my voice and I know them. And they what? They follow me. How do I hear his voice? I read his word. I read his word. I spend time in his presence. But I don't go back to this legal system, this law, and comb over my life continually with the law. No mention of the law in 2 Corinthians 3, where he, where he, he in verse 16, 18, he ends up saying, we're being transformed from one degree of glory to another as we look to Christ as I'm looking to Christ. as I'm flying. That's why Hebrews, the writer in Hebrews said in Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight. Everything that slows us down. And every sin that so easily entangles us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Christian life is like a race. Looking at the law. Carrying the big stick of the law. Combing over my life with the law and poking at others with it. Now, fixing my eyes on say it. Say it again. Jesus, Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. It's Jesus, 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 Jesus. And that's what we're gonna see when we get to the end of Romans where Paul just begins to gush on and on. It's one of the greatest chapters in all the Bible, Romans chapter eight. On and on about the love of Christ for us now. We're in Romans eight, 31 to 39. Paul just launches into what, there's places like this in his writings, where it's really almost like a doxology, where he is just praising God. And I picture him with hands lifted, because most, most of his letters he dictated to someone else's writing so he could lift his hands. This is one of those places where Paul is just swept up and says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for Saul, how shall he not also with him freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who's even at the right hand of God and makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? He's moved as he thinks about his relationship with Christ who is for us now. For us shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword as it is written. We're killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life Nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other thing. Shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. That's Christianity. It's a relationship with Jesus Christ. And my confidence is daily on who Christ is that never changes and what the Father thinks about Christ who never changes and that Christ lives in me and is helping me and is for me and loves me, loves me, loves me. Let me ask you as we close. What do you have? You may have said before I started these three messages, I'm a Christian. I'm born again. I'm saved. I know the Lord. But I want to ask you, What does your Christianity consist of? What do you have? What is your focus? Is it mostly a big stick still? And therefore you constantly struggle with where you stand before God. And you're a big pain towards those around you also. Because you would like for them to struggle that same way. You're just constantly stirring it up in your own life and stirring it up in the lives of others. Because you still think i got to comb over my life in microscopic detail and it's almost like I'm getting a report card from God weekly on how well I did on my, all my spiritual disciplines and that determines how much he loves me whether I can lift my hands on Sunday or not because it was a really good week because I did all these great things I witnessed to the plumber and so God loves me. Folks, that's, that's a mess. Or do you have a wedding band and you have an awareness And a delight in, I'm married to another, even him who was raised from the dead. He's my husband. He's already proven he's for me. And he said he'll never leave me or forsake me. And he will help me live this and finish what he started. Two very different ways of seeking to live the Christian life. What do you have? Father, thank you for your word that doesn't just point us to salvation and then leave us and say, sort this out however you'd like. Try to live the Christian life however you like. Oh, thank you for pointing out pitfalls and dangers and traps that will just suck the life and joy out of us and keep us just off balance constantly, not able to really move forward. Lord, set us free to leap like calves released from the stall, not to become bigger, bolder sinners, but greater lovers of Jesus Christ, following hard after Jesus Christ, knowing that we're accepted by Jesus Christ, knowing that my standing does not change, motivated out of gratitude. Oh, God, give more of us that experience and those that have it, a greater awareness of it, not just so that our lives would be wonderful, but so that we would make an impact in this world. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.